from India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. Schools are being shut for some days in parts of Uttar Pradesh, and traffic restrictions are being imposed on major roads in multiple states. as thousands of pilgrims participate in the annual kavadi yatra in the kavadi yatra pilgrims carry pots full of water from the river ganga on their shoulders back to shiva temples in their hometowns there the water is given as an offering to lord shiva author and mythologist devdatt patnaik reveals in today's episode that it's a ritual that's possibly been on for hundreds of years in india but for different reasons The stories that have inspired the pilgrimage and the rituals are different across the country. Devdatt also explains that while some of the pilgrims have become louder and angrier, at the core of the Kavad Yatra lie traditions linked to penance, sacrifice, and responsibility. Devdatt, uh, could you start by talking about how does this Kavad Yatra tie in with our mythology? So the story goes that the Kavadi Yatra involves the devotee carrying water from the river Ganges to a Shiva temple in uh, pots, which he has to carry on a bamboo pole, which he balances on his shoulder, and the water pot should never touch the ground. That is the most important thing. And ideally, he should not rest. He should keep moving from the point when he collects the water till he reaches the temple and pours it on Shiva. that's the ritual which is called kavad kavad is the bamboo pole or the carrying pole that we carry on the shoulder in images we have seen shravan kumar shravan kumar in you know the ramayana story but instead of baskets where parents are sitting you have pots which contain ganga water only ganga jal and the water is to be taken to the uh, shiva temple either in your village or one of the more bigger ones like baidyanath dham in bihar or Uh, one of the jyotirlings and then you pour it on that and that the ritual end and we have to remember that many of practices are based on ritual the stories come later i wanted to ask you this shravan story which you mentioned how is it linked to the kavar yatra well it's speculation really actually it's the same kavad so Shravan Kumar is carrying a kavad on which his parents are sitting, and when mm-hmm. you see the kavad yatra, you see these people carrying a similar contraption, a yantra, with uh, two pots on either side, not a parents. What is common in both the stories is really these are usually done by younger people, but there's something to do with domestication. It has something to do with responsibility. Dunya ka bhar sambhalna, the burden of responsibilities. Uh, is sort of a broad theme around these practices that it sort of transforms you from a meandering mendicant or a lost youth to someone who's responsible so shravan kumar wanted to take his parents on a pilgrimage across india and his parents were too old blind and weak to walk and therefore he carries them on this Uh, covered now this is the story we get from the ramayana in jataka tales there is a shama jataka where there is a similar story of a young boy who is carrying his parents and going on a journey and then of course the story is a king who is out hunting shoots the boy uh, in the ramayana version the parents are so upset that they curse the king that you too will lose your son the way we lost our dear son uh, 
in the Buddhist version, the parents forgive the king and are blessed uh, by the Bodhisattva and the child is re reborn or saved. Um, so that's the story. But broadly, it deals with taking care of parents, therefore responsibility of being the responsible son who takes care of you, which is not directly related to uh, the coward story. But Shiva is the mendicant, right? He's the mendicant who doesn't have responsibilities, who has no parents. So Shiva is very famous for saying to Parvati that I have no parents. I have no responsibility to the older generations. I don't need children because I'm never going to die. So Shiva's story is always about a mendicant who is sort of being anchored into the household. And therefore, the symbol of the coward plays that role of domestication of the householder. How does Ganga then play a role? Because in both Shravan's story and in the original uh, Shiva uh, linked story, there is Ganga Jal, which plays an important role. Yes. So the uh, in the Shravan story, while he's collecting the water, the sound produced sounds like a deer drinking. Shabdabhed, where a great archer can strike a target not by seeing the target, but by hearing the target. And kings were very famous for it. And he accidentally thinks that he's shooting a deer and he kills this man. So there is a river association again. But the coward story is more linked to Ravan. And this very famous story, which is found across India, not just in the energetic plains, where Kavad Yatra is famous, but also in Karnataka and Gokarna. You have the story of Ravan wanting to bring the shivling from Kailas to the south and is carrying the shivling south and he's stopped from doing so because it is believed that if Shiva goes south, the world will come to an end. Ravan is too arrogant to realize this and therefore he's stopped by the gods by various tricks like Ganesha, for example, appears uh, and causes him to want to urinate and he has to take a bio break. And he doesn't know what to do with the shivling. So he gives it to this boy and says, don't keep it on the ground. So this notion of don't keep it on the ground and he keeps it on the ground, the boy. And that's where the shivling is established. And uh, Ravan gets very upset in Gokarana. It is said that he pulls the shivling so much that it turns and it gets distorted and looks like the ear of a cow. So Gokarna. In Baidinath Dham, there are local villages which are places where he threw the sandal paste and where he threw a pot of water because he was very upset. He was like a petulant child who had lost his toy because Shiva is not going to come because Shiva, is, once he sits in one place, he will not move. And he had, he had sort of agreed reluctantly that, okay, you can carry me, but don't place me on the ground. And this idea of don't place me on the ground is linked to the water pots. So you see this sort of a echo of an idea coming here where these people are saying, okay, Shivji is there. Uh, there is another story that uh, Shiva after the Amrit Manthan is burning and he wants water to be brought to him. And um, it is obviously related to the time when the festival has been done. Now the festival has been done during what is called Chaturmas. Chaturmas is traditionally the four months of the rainy season. Today it doesn't map correctly, exactly, but at one time it mapped with the four months of the rainy season, Ashad, Shravan, Bhadrapad. So these are the times when they say the Vedic gods go to sleep and the demons rise. 
and uh, this is when you, you have um, Navratra Puja. So it starts with Shayani Ekadashi, which is the 11th day of the waxing moon in the month of Shravan. So Rathayatra is taking place around this time. You have in Maharashtra, you have the Varkari which is the Shayani Ekadashi. It's a very big thing where people go to the Vithal temple in Pandharpur. So you have this whole set of rituals bursting in India, which is related to this rainy season. And even the Vedas, even the, the oldest Vedic scriptures, you have this Chaturmas Yajyas being performed. And at that time, of course, there's no connection with Shiva and Vishnu, but there is something special about this time. Uh, we don't really know what it means one of the theses that people have is that rainy season is when traveling becomes impossible. The rivers are in spate. Nowadays, we have tarmac roads, but otherwise imagine even now with those potholes and all that, we fear traveling. But imagine those village roads which are completely swampy. So four months of the rainy season became a point to stop. Also the time of diseases, all kinds of diseases, fever. So it became associated with demons and rice plantation is taking place at this time. So it's a very important period in Indian calendar. And this is when this ritual is taking place. So we must remember this point that it is in the Dakshinayana, the, the southern movement of the rising sun, which is considered inauspicious, the time of demons, not associated with light, not associated with the gods. So a time when you're invoking the gods, one of the gods you're invoking is Shiva. Durga comes in the latter part of the festival. Ganesha comes at this time. So if you see the Shaivite pantheon is emerging, right? You have uh, Dev, Vishnu has gone to sleep. So Shiva must be awoken. And how do you awake Shiva? You put water on him. How do you, you want to show not just water, you want to also express your devotion. How do you express your devotion? You do something very difficult. You carry the pot of water and don't place it on the ground and keep walking. Uh, and pour it on him. He was carrying the coward. So that, I think, is the expression of devotion to wake up Shiva. So he protects you through the Chaturmas. Is perhaps you know, a speculative reason. You can never be sure of these things. And in the south of India, but this festival becomes a completely different one, right? So it is a Shiva-associated festival, but in a slightly oblique way. It is a Murugan-associated festival. Murugan is the main deity in South India, especially in Tamil Nadu and Andhra regions and parts of Kerala, Karnataka. And um, Murugan is associated with Khotravai, who is an old Tamil goddess, who is associated with Kali in the modern vocabulary that we have. So when you see the coward festival in the South, which I have been exposed to, I would see these people carrying something on the shoulder, a stick, and it would be covered with peacock feathers. And they would be dancing to the tune of drums. And then later I start, started seeing South India and also in Malaysia, this is a very important festival uh, where you walk up the mountains to go to see Murugan carrying this. Now, the story is very interesting. The story goes that Shiva... And his son, Kartikeya, had a fight. It's not clear why they fought. There were many stories about it. And he decides to move from north to south. And while going south, then he settles in the Tamil lands. Parvati feels bad that her son has uh, left home. So like a mother, she feels bad. And she feels that he has forgotten home. Too, so he'll be nostalgic. He'll miss the mountains and the rivers from North India. And therefore, she gives mountain 
peaks and a pot of water containing the river water, the Ganga water, the Kailas peaks, and she gives it to Agastya Muni and says, take it south. Now he gets a Rakshasha called Idumba in Tamil, but it's Hidimba. And he carries it on a coward, this pole. On either side, he carries the mountains, he carries this water, and he's going south. And as he's going south, at one particular point, he places it on the ground, but is unable to lift it up again because now it has settled there. Why is it a settled there? Because he realizes a little boy is sitting on top of the mountain, and that boy is Murugan. And the weight of Murugan prevents him from lifting it. So you can see the same story about carrying it on a coward, placing it on the ground, not being able to lift it. But now it is linked to Murugan. And it's somehow connected to the north-south migrations of the Brahmin communities, the Arya communities. It's a controversial idea, of course, in India today, because you know we want to believe that there was some homogeneous human beings in India. But the really, we know that North Indian Aryan culture, Buddhist, Jain, and the Brahmin culture came from North India to South India. And this story talks of this migration, this belief that mountains came from the North, rivers came from the North. And they were carried on a coward by a Rakshasa called Hidimba for Murugan, which is the story in South India. Very different from the stories that you find in the Gangetic plain. Could you talk about the evolution of this Kaumad Yatra itself? Was it always this major event that was there or was it a more localized thing? So most of these festivals were always local. Like for example, if I ask people, tell me the big festival in Assam or Manipur, they wouldn't know. Or Ratha Yatra is famous now because you get it directly telecast in your house through television. Otherwise, it's a very Odia thing. So India has all these local festivals which have been done for hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Now with one, the political desire to amalgamate everyone and second, technological capability, which enables you to see things and you start believing and then you sort of start practicing it. For example, Ganpati Puja was not a big thing in North India. Now, uh, you know, for political reasons, this idea is spreading that's a Hindu thing. But it's, uh, in terms of its ritual, I see a South Indian version Clearly, uh, it's all, I think Shilapadikaram has some mention of similar rituals. Then at an anthropological level, it is definitely there in North India, in the Gangetic Plain, maybe in the Narmada Valley also, because Narmada Valley also has a lot of Shiva temples. It does have all the motives associated with Hindu rituals. The idea of carrying it on the shoulder, not placing it on the ground, taking water from the river to the temple, uh, kind of a lot of discipline, a lot of ardor. A lot of intense work. So the words like tapasya come into your mind, vrat come into your mind. These are extra Vedic practices. These are not practices that you find in the Vedas, uh, which were ritualistic. These seem to be more earthbound rituals, more agricultural rituals. It's all about willpower, if you think about it. you Like, for example, I was just uh, talking to people who actually do the yatra. There is something called dark bum. Bum is the word for Shivji. And dark are people who will not stop even for a second. They'll keep walking, walking uh, to reach there. And there are special paths created for these people and special tickets to identify them, special clothes they wear. And they are allowed direct access into the temple. So, you know, this requires a lot of willpower. It's about a 100-kilometer walk. Imagine walking nonstop. Or you have Krishna Bam where they run all the time and they will pause a bit, but they'll run. Uh, then there are regular folk who go slowly, but every time they will, when they rest, they'll hang it on a hanger or a 
special arrangements are made and people feel there is a lot of uh, you know positive energy to obtain if you feed these people they'll put water on their feet because their feet are you know dry some people will not wear shoes so this whole idea of will power tapasya is about will power doing something and i think it sort of uh, energizes the young person he feels he's connected with the divine you are fasting you are not sleeping you are walking everybody's chanting around you there is a lot of prayers going around so this whole energy which is created and this is found in pilgrim spots across the world right across the world pilgrimage is kind of a spiritual upliftment which happens um, and that is what is happening in this ritual and it's become popular in the last couple of you know um, decades more and more as you know as i said technology and politics have this heady mix and suddenly it has become like a 5000 year old festival and why do we see so few women you alluded to this earlier that you know it's mostly men and this system of sort of domestication but why does this system then say not include women as much there are women there are lots and lots of women it's just that you know the, proportionately maybe the women are not so visible and you know the photographies also in north india a lot of uh, boy bands and boy groups and this kind of mobilization of uh, political cadres uh, allows this kind of a boy groups to emerge it was obviously a family village ritual so women are there but i think this masculinization of the ritual is something that the politicians of late do it because they want to see shiva without parvati they want to see ram without sita there is a kind of a invisibilization of women which you see in the political arena but that's their choice like you mentioned the pilgrimage is finally this sort of tapasya and a sort of penance for the gods to bless you or bless your village how do you view this evolution where pilgrimages like you said have also become these big events where there is a lot of loud music how do you view that so whenever there are gatherings of people lots of nefarious activities happen but they usually happen in the sidelines so that's common across the world whenever there is a gathering of humans there will be all kinds of substance abuse there will be kind of uh, sexual activity these these happen on the fringes of this group and everybody knows about it it's done quietly there is no policing police and all have got involved only recently to create infrastructure because the state suddenly feels it is responsible for these things these rituals existed even before state so we must remember that state is not essential to a kavadi yatra you know state needs the kavadi yatra to show itself as the gate care of i take care of people nobody needs the state really and now as far as politicians are concerned whenever group activity takes place they see an opportunity to get cadres and converts to their political causes so there's a positive side to the political activity also and there's a dark side of it also and you find politicians investing in them saying that we'll fund your activities because it's cost right you have to you're not working for so many days you might have taken a holiday you have to feed yourself clothe yourself buy the ticket so that is all provided free which costs a lot of organization event management and then of course you'll sell your agenda at the same time play loud music and the people i talk to they always say that you know who remembers who gives you the food you just eat it and go i think the bugs are very clear they're focused on what they want and they don't care much for this political mobilization which you see in the last 20 30 years 
But there's also a misunderstanding of Shiva worship, right? That you see that you only are attracted towards the unhinged aspect of the worship where you think that consumption of cannabis is, is the way to access him, which is what you kind of see ferment in this, uh, in, in, in this very new, new age Kaveria uh, uh, rituals, right? So, um, you know, the Shiva stories are a counter to the Buddhist stories. So Buddhist stories were about sensory deprivation. So they would withdraw from the world. So what is a Buddha story? A married man with a child, a king probably, withdrawing from the royal life, from the city life, going to the forest and becoming a hermit. Even the Jains talk of kings who, after finishing their duties, withdraw from the world. Shiva stories appear, I mean, the popular stories start appearing around 2000 years ago. They're a counter to this idea. And they say that here is a hermit who wanders the world, walks in the crematoriums, um, just wanders everywhere and suddenly is anchored by a wife and a child. He settles, as we say in modern, uh, settle ho jata hai. So Shivji ko settle kara do. So that kind of concept exists. But his essential nature is wild. He's, even in the folk traditions, he's called Sarvabhogi. He accepts any offering. He doesn't care whether it is cooked properly, uncooked. What is he offered to him doesn't care at all. He is typically therefore given the things that are not grown in a cultivated soil. So wild flower, wild fruits, so cannabis, poisons, datura. Um, you know, these are things that are given to Shiva, Brahma Kamal, these kind of flowers. Same thing you find with the goddess, you know, give plants and a lot of goddess worship which takes place, Gauri Puja, which takes place later in the year. She's given wild plants. Uh, these are wild gods, Shiva and Shakti, who marry and get domesticated. You have Ram Krishna, who is very domestic, and you have um, Krishna, who is romantic, and you know. Then you have this wild feet creature called whose hair is frazzled. In a in a way, it captures the youthful angst and energy of that time. You know, when you are you hate your college, and you uh, you're playing the guitar, and you are wearing dirty jeans, and you want to smoke pot, and you are rebelling against your family, which is forcing you to settle. That's your Shiva aspect. That Because at the end of the day, you are going to be domesticated. That wildness is something that people sort of, I think, aspire secretly for, and they know it is not going to last. There is no God giving you permission or not giving you permission. These are these are just frameworks. And you find your excuses, right? You find your excuses. The spirituality, power, politics, economics, they all sort of coexist and they take macabre forms sometimes and they rise and fall. What remains consistent is the faith. That is always there. It's like the ocean and the wave. So you see these negative, dark things as waves which come and go, but the, the ocean is always there. and The currents are down there to see. What I see is an old, perhaps tribal, pre-Vedic, pre-Harappan, pre-Puranic, pre-Buddhist, pre-Jain ritual of faith, of discipline, of uh, focus. See, all those words that we use, dhyan, discipline, uh, they have focus. They are focusing on Shivji. They are doing something for someone else. They are transcending their body. They are transcending their hunger, their sleep their exhaustion, and you know they have to fast, they cannot indulge in sexual activities, 
all these things are elevating them. And I think I'd rather focus on that Kavad Yatra. Politicians will keep doing what they want to do before they are sort of another alpha will come and destroy them. So that's what happens. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.